today, even though that's a practice of standing and honor the reading of Scripture that we do very often. But I'll just pray, God bless this word as we begin to read it today. Let it, let it just spark something within us. Let it bring clarification. And let us uh, have liberty in here today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. 1 Timothy 3 in the first verse says, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Now remember this. The Apostle Paul has left Timothy at Ephesus where he is serving as a pastor, but perhaps a little bit higher than a pastor, but he's certainly dealing with the local church and he is helping establish these principles. He's, Timothy is Paul's younger protege. He was responsible for helping lead him to the Lord. And Timothy has his ups and downs in ministries. Anybody that's ever read First and Second Timothy, you see this and we can relate to it. Paul told Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It says to us that Timothy was probably timid. And sometimes when you're dealing with matters of the church, it's easy to, to kind of get caught into difficult seasons and not know how to deal with them. So here he's addressing the, those that will accept the call of a bishop, what we can also, not just the bishop, but also pastoral. We're going to kind of connect the pastoral call. It says a bishop then must be blameless. He's the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. He's not given to wine unless he accidentally drinks water out of the infuser that he's left on his counter for three days. Ask me about that later. No striker, not greedy of filthy lucre or money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. That means you, uh, you walk softly and carry a big stick. That's what I interpreted as I was a... Uh, Never mind. Y'all aren't with me. Stay with me. Help me. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? It is a divine principle that pastors must be able to manage their own households well. It should be a, a, uh, something that is considered. It is considered as we are ordaining people into ministry because it will be a reflection. And if we handle our, 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 our spouses and our children well and walk in love and be the leader that God intended us to be at home, then we can adequately be the leader God intends for us to be in the public arena. Correct? Amen? And so, and then he says, not a novice, unless being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So the apostle Paul speaks to Timothy, gives him just a little sliver of information here as Timothy is under the authority of the apostolic leader to raise up and appoint those that would be in pastoral ministry. All of us that have been in the pastoral ministry, we have gleaned and read. I cannot tell you the countless times I've read first and second Timothy in the book of Titus. They're known as the pastoral epistles. And this is where we gain just kind of the nuts and bolts of ministry. It helps us to learn how to act and react to the people of God. It lets us know what's expected of us. This is our job qualifications. These are the things that you have to check off. You know, when you look at yourself and examine yourself, do I fit this role? Do I have the type of qualifications that will help me? If I help me be able to help you, and if I don't have these, then I have to ask myself the question whether or not I'm called into this ministry. The fourth chapter, let's turn the page. Let's go through the 11th and the 16th verse. It would not hurt my feelings at all if you did more than the fan. You put the fan on one side and the cool on the other, and we will mix it together. I can feel it by because people are gasping out there, one or the other. The 11th verse of the fourth chapter, Paul says, Now these things command and teach. Now look, I used to have a problem with this, but I don't think I do anymore. Let no man despise thy youth. 
but be thou an example of the believer. So Timothy was a young man in this particular season of life. And so in doing so, the apostle is saying, you know, handle yourself the right way. Live a life that is an example to the believers, both in word and in conversation. Conversation in the King James means in lifestyle. It means that, that the church family, to a degree, should be able to emulate your life. That you should have a pattern of holy living that others that are immature in their faith should be able to look at and strive, are y'all, are y'all with me? I mean, almost like a role model in ministry. Not that pastors would be perfect, for certainly we are not, not that we don't have ups and downs like everybody else, but we should have a lifestyle that should provide some measure of inspiration to you of conforming your life to the will of God in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. He said, till I come... So till Jesus comes, my responsibility is to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to, ne- to doctrine. Do not le- think that that's how long I'm going to preach today. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. So prophecy accompanied Timothy, uh, Timothy's call. There was a prophetical word. I'll share with you a little bit more of how I've experienced this in my own life. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. There comes a moment in every man that's truly called into the fivefold apostolic ministry where you have to have that moment where you say, I'm going to surrender totally, completely to that call. I'll share more about that in a moment. That thy progress may appear to all, to people that have committed their life to the ministry, a growth or development takes place in front of your eyes. You see a deepening. If we are putting ourselves in an environment that causes us to be sharpened and improved, then you should be able to see that. You should be able to see us move past our immaturity into a progression, a development of our faith. He said, take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for here's the promise that if I continue in them and I continue to preach and teach and we continue to walk together collectively as a people, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. It produces a great corporate blessing upon the body of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, we'll read just a few verses in 2 Timothy 2, a few verses in 3 and 4, and that's going to conclude that very quickly today. 2 Timothy 2, this person, this passage of scripture is very important to me because as my call was developed, this passage of scripture, three verses, were transposed and, and were placed into my heart by, by none other than Ray Cothran. Many of you know Ray, some of you do not, but he became one of the, the people instrumental in helping lead me, a young Baptist professing a call of ministry, into the spirit-filled uh, movement. In the 24th verse, it says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. But here's how I aimed and I make it my goal and my pursuit to pastor the people of God. But be gentle to all men apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. It's my observation that people get themselves in all kinds of mess. And I've learned I can't get everybody out. When I first was new to the ministry, you know, my childhood hero was the Lone Ranger. And I just thought I could ride silver in with six guns blazing, send Tonto out. And eventually, when it was all said and done, I could bring you out of everything. But I've, un- I've learned that that's not the case. It took a lifetime to get into some of the problems that people get into. And it's not going to be an overnight moment getting them out. But I do know that if we're faithful, and if you're faithful, and if you stay in an environment where the Word of God is taught and preached, 
and you're in an environment where you're loved and where people help sharpen you. As iron sharpeneth iron, so a man is sharpened by the countenance of his friend. That, that when you're at your weakest, there are people to help support you and strengthen you. But we're not going to carry you all the days of your life. We're going to expect you to get on your own two feet somewhere along the line. And we're going we're to see growth in your life and development. I believe that you can recover yourself from a life and a lifestyle of brokenness. I do not believe that it is the will of God for us to continue to live like godless, stupid people. Right? Now, for those of you that don't understand me saying that, that's contemporary English translation of Ephesians 4 and 17. Stop living life. He said, I order you. I love that. I order you to stop living like godless, stupid people. We have to learn, go through a, prog- a process of being changed by the power of God. There's so much confusion in people's lives, and that is not the will of God. Every, confusion and every evil work, that is sensual and it's devilish. I'm telling you, God is an author of peace. Come on, somebody. And if you work and believe God for peace on your house, you should not have to live in your own home in confusion. But if you don't set it in order, it's not going to get in order. I remember years ago pastoring at Shirley and I had a confusing situation and I was praying about it and I heard the quickening voice of God in my spirit and the Lord, and I don't say this often, but he quickened in my heart. He said, Lee, that's why you're there. It's not going to just go away. It's not going to pray itself out. You're going to have to set it in order and trust that God's going to give you the direction to bring peace, come on, into your life and to your lifestyle and to your household. And I see these in the Word of God here. 2 Timothy 2, he speaks about that you will eventually recover yourself through, uh, through the, the faithfulness of being connected to the body of Christ. The third chapter, 14th through the 17th verse. He said, continue thou in the things that you have learned and been assured of. Paul speaking to Timothy and knowing of whom you have learned them. And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures. I'll tell you one thing, as this is, um, I, I'm, I'm almost in my... Uh, uh, what, 18th year of full-time pastoral ministry and I began preaching when I was 16 and I'm 46 now so it's 30 years of preaching. I'm so thankful for the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable to our lives for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God wants me and you to be maturing until we are able to do what God's called us to do. Chapter 4, verse 1. So Paul then speaks directly to to Timothy as a preacher now. He says, I charge thee before God. This This was given to me at the time of my ordination when I was ordained in the assemblies of God many years ago. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word when you don't feel like it and when you do feel like it. Be instant in season and out of season. Whether people are for it or against it, just preach the word. Come on, God watches over his word to perform it. We live in a culture where we have, we have, uh, we have watered down the, the integrity of the word of God and the strength of preaching the word of God. All the word of God is not pleasant to our flesh. The word of God comes to us so that we will mortify our flesh, right? Capture our thoughts and then walk in the spirit and not satisfy the desires of the flesh. 
We have to guard ourselves from becoming a part of the culture that thinks everything is appealing to us in the flesh. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. And I'm going to believe that's not going to be our fellowship. We're going to be a fellowship that longs for the truth of, of the word of God. We're going to be like the scripture. We're going to buy the truth and sell it not. And But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. And so Paul is writing to Timothy here who is serving to a degree apostolically but also pastorally to take these principles of truth given to him on this letter, this ancient uh, epistle, and, and pass this word to all those professing the call of ministry. And I want to share with you just a few minutes today. Many of you know this journey, but some of you do not, and it's important. I enjoy learning things about your life, and this is your moment for me to share with you a few things about who I am and where I am that brought me to this place just real quickly because I think that will help you understand the way I think and thought and thought process and the way I talk, the reason why I struggle uh, vocabulary-wise occasionally along the way. But, and when I don't have the right word, I make it up and just say it fast and you don't even know it. I just press on and lie. But my first sermon, my very first sermon, I was 16 years of age. And Sherry and I, uh, when I say Sherry and I, Sherry and I started dating when I was 15. So I have been with her two-thirds of my life at 46 years of age. That's not recommended for everybody else, all the ISM students. However, it was just, it was who God called us to be, okay? And it was a, a unique moment. But I had, I, had, I had told the pastor of Wilburn General Baptist Church that I felt like God was calling me to preach. I'd like to have an opportunity to preach. And so a night was set aside for me to preach. And I remember the challenge of preaching. I remember that first sermon and how that the anxiety of it was so great. And if you've never been here, if you've never done any public speaking, it's one of the people's greatest fears. And, and I remember the challenge, and I'd gone through the preparation of the sermon, and that was difficult because I didn't know how to do that. And then, uh, then the delivery process of it, and I said it. I, I had told the church that I said, at the end of it, I'm going to announce whether or not I really feel like God's called me into ministry. Well, the anxiety of preaching and the anxiety of preparation was so great, I had already determined in my heart when I got to that strategic moment, I was going to say, it seemed right, but it was not me. It's not for me. But I got right to that moment. And in that moment, an overwhelming presence of God came on my heart. And I knew, and I said, I'm confident that God's called me to preach the gospel. Now, the next time I preached, it went a lot easier. Now, it was still a little bit difficult, and you had to go through a progression. I began to uh, work at Town & Country. How many remember the old Town & Country? I was sacking groceries there, and one day I met this little fellow there that had glasses, and out the back of his little vehicle it said, Jesus is Lord. His name was Ray Cothran. Ray Cothran was a part of the Prevailing Word Christian Center at that time, became a longtime member of this church, and then went back to the Christian Center before he passed away. But Brother Ray had a, had a love for Jesus, and he, he, he began to develop a relationship with me, and he began to talk to me. 
And, and we began to just study the scriptures together. And I went to church and visited with him. And, and, and then through a process of learning, I realized that I had a Pentecostal heritage. I had accepted the preaching um, call while I was a part of the Baptist church, General Baptist Church in Wilburn. But I learned through after I began exposed to Pentecostalism. And I remember the very first time I was in a church service where not only did people do, not only did they speak in tongues. How many know if, that, if you've never been around that, Right? It can be a little bit awkward the first time, let's be honest. But number two, the thing that caught my attention the most was the fact that people had raised their hands. That was the thing that got me. Because I was an athlete at 135 scrawny pounds, yes, but don't let this shell fool you. They're deep inside here is a real athlete. Really. Tell y'all remembers a young Pastor Brown when I got here at 33, when I could steal ball. I can't anymore. I just rebound and kick out to people now. But nonetheless, I remember going to, the, to the, you know, all of our ball games and, and people would get beside themselves in the ball game and then come to church and we would set icicle cold. And I knew something could not be right there. And, and when I was in that environment, that seemed more right that if I really loved God and I wanted to celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that I ought to have the liberty to raise my hands and celebrate and bless His name. And I began to draw, just like many of you, I began to draw away without throwing stones towards the other movement, I began to draw into. And then I found out later that my grandmother attended First Assembly of God long years ago, walked down the mountain with her five and six children and would attend as often as she could right here at First Assembly. My grandmother was a Baptist, but she was a spirit-filled Baptist. She told me when I talked to her, Grandma Brown, she would say, she said, Lee, she said, everybody used to shout in those days. She went to those old Brush Harbor meetings where it didn't matter whether you were Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal. When the glory came down and the presence of God came down, everybody shouted and would shake. She had that little hair that, you know, done up like this, and she would shake it until it fell down and, and give God glory. And so uh, maybe some of her spirit got on me. I don't know, but I, 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 a progression, a development, and then... I received, oddly enough, I prayed one time for the baptism in the Spirit. I spoke in tongues, but it didn't seem real. But then later, watching a pre-recorded video, I've told this before, Morris Sorello preaching the gospel while I was in Wilburn. And, 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 and I watched that video, and he said, there are young ministers right now that need the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Get down on your knees. And there in my house, my dad's house, and mom's house, I was on vacation from town to country during the summer. I got down just like this, and I raised both hands, and the Spirit of God came upon me right then and I received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and I knew that I had the power and the presence of God, an unction of God. I began to discover it and I'll tell you, it is a discovery to learn about the anointing. You know, when you get it, you just, you begin to grow in it and develop in it and long for it and pursue it and you, you learn to die to yourself and live into God and you learn that, that in and of yourself, talent is not sufficient. If we don't have an anointing, we don't have anything. We've got to have an anointing upon our life but that started the progress in my life of moving out and moving into a new realm of living and eventually I joined the Air Force and that took me to Alexandria, Louisiana. <clears throat> Oddly enough, I started attending the Assembly of God Church and I came in right at the time that the Jimmy Swaggart thing went viral. And so those are tough days for all of us in the assemblies. Come on. Tough days. A lot of ridicule, national attention. Not only that, Jim Baker. I mean, with PTL, everything. It was a tough time. 
But during that time, that's when I began to develop the style of ministry that today, you know, I, whether it's good or bad, right or wrong, it was during that time the evangelist. See, the evangelist, that was the last of the era of the evangelist. Because now what we see today, we see more of the pastoral ministries that are more prominent across the United States, pastors. But in those days, it was evangelists. And there were, I mean, everybody had to have, you had to have, uh, what are those things called? We didn't wear belts. Come on, somebody. And I had the little flowery thing right there and take that off. And I got where I'd shake that Bible just like Jimmy and hold that thing right there like that. That's why my black Bible, all the pages are thrown out of it because it just felt right. And so, and even to this day, and then as I began to study and develop in the call of ministry just a little bit, the thing that, that, that I, I began to reach into that, the black world just a little bit and Pentecostalism and it, and it just kind of molded the style of ministry, whether good or bad, right or wrong. Every now and then I still think it's important to say, ha, ah, when I preach just a little bit because I don't know, it just helps me go to the next level, take that little step along the way, ha, ah, and, and, and just find that flow of the Spirit. Because I tell you what, I remember one pastor and through that call of ministry, you know, I, I can remember God when I was, even before that, before I was in the military there, when I was a younger man, God confirmed. Remember that prophecy that he told Timothy? God confirmed the call of ministry and who I am today as your pastor was spoken over me when I was a young man, 17 years of age, attending a church at Kuderneck, at a Kuderneck full gospel. Who in the world goes to Kuderneck full gospel to hear a barefoot preacher that decided to wear tennis shoes? But that brother, as he was preaching, in the middle of his sermon, he went right back to where I was. I was just sitting there beside Brother Ray. And he put his hand on me and he began to prophesy over me how God would use me uh, in stirring this area up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't know what to think about stuff like that until later when I began to see my destiny come together. And, and I remember the one that stood out the most. I had been preaching. Uh, I got the opportunity to preach at a little full gospel church in Hopewell. And there's about seven people. It was a youth service. It's like on a Thursday night and I preached and I didn't get it all right. I still, I was trying to learn the word of God and I said the word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I think I said a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path and I can still remember it wasn't all right but, but I felt good because I was starting to grow and mature in the ministry a little bit and I wanted to go and celebrate and tell Brother Ray. I felt like the service was good. It was actually a Wednesday night so I went to look for him at the church. They weren't having service. They were having a revival service at the, at the, uh, Spring Park. Now I'm 17 years old. It's the heat of summer, and and I said I could hear the something going on over there. Sound like a revival. I said well, maybe I'll find them there, and I went in, and there was a brother that was standing there. He preached motionless. He stood just like this. He had a microphone. He put it right here under his mouth, but he about every seven words he would say ha, just like that. I'm kid you not. He'd say, but he had an anointing upon his life, and he ha, and he had preached this thing ha, and I came in and I sat down. And as he was preaching, and about a third through his preaching, he stopped and he said, you know, the Spirit of God just spoke to me that a man of God has just come into this service and he's seated right over there. And he pointed right at me and I looked. <laughs> I kid you not, to this day, I, look, I did just like that. I wanted to see who that man of God was. <laughs> Elijah the prophet had done slipped in behind me and I didn't even know it. And he was up there and he said, no, young man, I'm talking about you. And he called me forward and he gave me a microphone and he said, I want you to preach to the people. Now that happened on more than one occasion that God can use prophecy. That's why we value the spirit of prophecy. 
you can go home and dial your 1-900 number if you want to and talk to Madam so-and-so. I'm going to put myself in an environment where people got an anointing on their life and help confirm the call of God upon our lives. I got to be careful of the time. I know I'm going to omit some things today just real quickly, but I do remember very quickly that from my military career, I remember a critical moment. God brought us from, from Louisiana to eventually to Jacksonville, and I went to MacArthur Assembly, and it was there that I got associated with Pastor Burton, and that's where the call of a pastor began to be developed in my life. I was still a little bit gun shy of it. I, I still thought that I was going to be an evangelist. That was it. My style of preaching was like an evangelist, and that was who God had called me to be, but it was kind of odd because I'd preach and nobody gets saved. How many you know God's not, if you're not getting folks saved, God's not called you to be an evangelist, Sister Jeannie? Because an evangelist's goal is to pull people and reach out to them. And a pastor's call is to shepherd people and to teach them and equip them how to reach people. Are y'all with me today? But you have to learn that call of God in your life. And I remember a critical moment. There may be somebody under the sound of my voice that's going to help today, but I remember a critical moment in my life, a defining moment because I was in the military and I'd had a, a blessing upon me while in the military and I was almost eight, nine years in and, and I could have had a career. I would have retired eight years ago. I went in when I was 18. Uh, my mom and dad would have had to sign for me. I signed up when I was 17, but I was already married. Ain't that weird? And so, but I remember that I chose a moment, and this was difficult. We had five children. We didn't know what God was caught, where we were supposed to go, what we were supposed to do. I knew I felt like the call of ministry. I remember a day where I turned down testing for promotion because in the Air Force, if you turn down testing for promotion, you are no longer eligible to re-enlist. And that was a critical moment in my life because what it was saying is I was saying, God, I'm burning the plow. Burning the plow is when Elijah put the call of God on Elisha, and Elisha went and burned the plow of oxen that he was following behind. He slew the oxen and burned the plow. And that was a moment where he said, I'm going to follow you and I'm not going back. And that was my moment. And I put myself in an environment and said, God, where you lead me, I'm going to follow. Whatever you call me to do, I'm going to do. And But in my heart, I was wanting to be in this area, Heber Springs, but it just didn't seem to be right. No door was open. And so I remember that Sherry and I at that time chose an opportunity to go up to Springdale because there there was a church that was open. It was on a Sunday afternoon. We were going to drive around up there. And if I had went there, Jojo, you could have stayed at my house last night instead of driving back at 3.30. But we just drove through the church and drove through the parking lot, and we were just praying. We took Aaron with us. We had a 1995 Chevy Silverado single cab. Me, Sherry, little Aaron, he was just a baby in his little carrier. And we were searching for the will of God. Am I the only person that's ever just searched for the will of God where you're just saying, God, I know there's something, and i got to find it, and I'm praying about it, longing for it, and I'm I'm going here and there, and, and that just didn't seem right. And we came back through down 65, and my mom and dad were keeping our other uh, four children at that time in equipment. And we got there at Clinton, and I said to Sherry, I said, there is a church open in Shirley. And I said, I think if we'll take a left here on 16, we can come back out close to, to equipment. I said, I'm not for sure, but I think so. And I said, we're going to drive past that church, and we'll just see. Because that, how many of you just, you don't really target going to Shirley. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Now, I'll expound more about that in a moment. However, but the moment I turned on 16, have you ever had a holy moment? When just the peace of God. The moment we turned on 16, no talk between Sherry and I, no conversation. It was as if God just dropped that holy awe. And we were driving the hills and the 
If it had been night, we could have seen our own headlights. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, and, the, and, the, and I was going through the impoverished area, and I, I just I made a vow to God. And I said, God, I don't care if this is a one-room church and a one-room parsonage. But I said, if it's a place, remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, give yourself wholly to these things. I said, if it can be a place where I can give myself to the ministry fully, I said, we'll take it. And God, through a miraculous set of events that I've shared before and time is going to cause me to omit it today, God eventually, I was released from the military early and I accepted the call and spent seven years amongst a beautiful people group in a beautiful backdrop. But all the while, all the while that I was there, there was something undone in my heart. Remember that prophetical word? See, when God puts you a real prophetical word, you'll live your life with it in the back of your mind every day of your life. You won't forget about it. You'll know it's from God. It'll be in your searing conscience. You may be doing one thing, but you'll always be thinking about something else. You may be in one place, but you'll always be thinking about something else until you arrive at the place where God's destined you to be. Are y'all hearing me today? We, in 2001, our family went through a great tragedy. Our house burned down on January the 10th under, uh, during a Wednesday night service. Sherry and the kids got there first. I was having a board meeting. The phone rang at the, par- at the, at the church in the office. It was one of the kids crying, sobbing, saying the house is burning down right now. We just jumped and ran there, and it was out of control, and we couldn't stop it. Firemen couldn't stop it, we lost everything. But through that, God blessed us and lifted our lives financially. Through that insurance and everything, I went from being $70,000 in debt to a house that I rolled my sleeves up and found out that yes somebody without experience can build a house the people of Shirley helped me and the church at Shirley helped me and I built a house and uh, nine to ten months later I owned a house on 17 acres debt free long before I knew about Dave Ramsey glory to God you may ask why would you ever want to leave that seven bedroom home on a hill and looking over Shirley with the grass to feed your cows come on that sounds like something made in heaven right there but I had a desire to be on this platform, to see you, to see the growth and the grace that God wants to do in your life. And in the midst of what could have been the happiest and the most blessed time of my life, there's still something in me unfulfilled. And I remember a fateful day, just months after having moved into the house, I got up and I sought the Lord one day and I was praying about coming to Heber and the opportunity to come to Heber and I felt a release on that day, on that day where God took me to a passage of Scripture and brought a change into my life, and I felt a release. Well, I, I immediately began to tell. I talked to Tommy Covington, who was the pastor at Grish Ferry, some of you know, and he told me, he said, I know Brother Kelly pretty well. I said, I'll make an appointment for you, and you, got, you guys need to talk because it's, I was going to come to Heber and start a church. But, I mean, no, that ain't always the most welcome thing to do. And not always it the right thing to do. So I met with Brother Kelly, and Brother Kelly said, Pastor Brown, he said, I, I, I want you to know, he said, it's really not probably the best thing for you to start a church because he was at the end of his ministry and things weren't going as healthy at the church as he had liked for it to at the end. He said, if you start that church, you're going to draw people out of this church immediately. He said, but I'm telling you, things are changing in my life. And he said, and I probably won't be here that much longer. And he said, and so, but that took a year. So I just waited. It took a year. Now, I remember when a phone call came on October of 2002 that I had received a phone call from somebody that was attending this church. It said, Brother Kelly resigned. He got promoted to the district office. He's very excited. Thank God. May God bless him and Sister Paula. And I was the very first person. I hand-carried my resume to First Assembly. Met with some of the board at that particular time. Prematurely. you got to wait on God, people. It's the lessons I've learned in life. I have spent so much of my life being about two steps in front of God. 
Are y'all hearing me? Out of my desire to make something happen. Because those men had just lost their pastor two weeks earlier. They were not ready for somebody else saying, I'm ready to be your pastor. And so my name was added to the heap just like everybody else's. But after a period of time, amongst the debate amongst the board, because Brother Kelly had told the board, be unanimous in your selection. Don't bring multiple pastors in front of the church. Bring one and recommend him to the church to be chosen. Well, they were torn. Ultimately, they were torn between me and another pastor, another who now is an evangelist, a young man. Now, later I found out, because they left all this information in the church office by accident, and I happened to read the notes. <laughs> I still have them in my office to this day. That they made a list of pros and cons. The other pastor had four pros and three cons. I had 17 pros and one con. My one con was I didn't have a, a college education. And oddly enough, 17 slash one, four slash three, that's who they chose. They put the phone call in to him, and rather than accept the pastorate, he turned the pastorate down. I'll tell you, that's, you've got to learn to trust God, people. Come on, somebody. God's got your back. So I got the phone call. We set up a special service to come down here. I was going to preach on a Friday night, a Saturday night, and a Sunday. It was the Saturday prior to that, and I had one of the weirdest phone calls I'd ever gotten. It was a board member at the church at this time, and he felt bad later. See, the devil will use anybody to discourage you. The devil will use anybody to try to rob you of who you are and the divine destiny God's put upon your life. And I was at my house that paid for log home in Shirley on a Saturday thinking about coming the next week. And I got this phone call from the board member that said, that said this. He said, I want you to know. He said, you were good, but you weren't really, one of the, you weren't really the best that, that, that chose. And I, I don't have any problem of going to tell the church that if you don't want to come, then you won't come. And when he said those words to me, thank God for a spiritual awareness deep inside where you know who you are in Christ. God don't have to tear me down to lift somebody else up. And I knew that was the voice of the devil. And in that moment, I was sitting at my desk there in my office in, in our house there at a little office that we had built. And I, and I was excited about the phone call. But in that moment when those words were coming, you know where I was? I was suddenly transported. I was in the valley of Ella. I was in the valley of Ella and across the, the, the valley from me was Goliath because Goliath was bigger than David and he was taller than David and he was stronger than David. He was more trained than David. He had all the resources that David didn't have. Uh, uh, but the one thing he didn't have was he didn't have a covenant with God. And he said this to David. He belittled him. And I'm sitting there at that desk, but my mind is in that valley years ago because I knew that wasn't the voice of God tearing me down. That was the voice of the devil. And I, in my spirit, I said, well, well, I'll tell you what, I'm in the middle of a good situation and I don't have to come. God's blessed our church right here, but I want you to know I am going to come because I believe it's the right thing for me to come. And I came to this church and I knew when I got here it wasn't easy, it was difficult at times that God had destined this moment. One of the things that threw me a little bit back when they voted on me that first night, there was 59 yeses and 6 noes. I still don't like that number as it came together. I just, I didn't, I didn't like, or seven no's. I think it came out to 66. I didn't like that because I'd always had a unanimous vote previously and now I've got a couple of things going. And as I came here to the church, I discovered after a few months, I inherited a divided fellowship. I inherited a people group that could not come together. 
People that loved each other but were not united in heart and theme. People that had been hurt and cut over wounds long years ago that had left the church fragmented. And we needed a new moment. And I didn't, I didn't add good things to it. I walked too fast of a pace for the first two years. Dr. Brassfield had such a powerful word to me my first few months as the pastor of this church. And I didn't realize I was not heeding it. He said, Lee, he set me down at a, at a dinner table. And he said, Lee, he said, I want you to know this. Or pastor, he calls me Pastor Brown, uh, which that's odd in and of itself. But he calls me Pastor Brown. And he said, listen, he said, this is a marathon, not a sprint. But my nature was, I'm fast-paced. Come with me to Walmart one day. This is how I go through Walmart. <laughs> Let's go, Sherry. Let's go. I get fast-paced. And that's how I was doing church. And that's why I was moving the church too fast and too fast and too fast. Didn't mean to, but I did. It was just by my nature. And I looked up after two years that we hadn't done anything. We were spinning. We were in the same place that we were two years earlier. We had not come together. We were not united. A couple of staff members had left. Jojo had come in, thank God. And, and, but, but we just hadn't. And I had a, I had a prayer service on, Jan, on December the 31st at this church, and I didn't invite anybody. And I prayed at the midnight hour right here by myself. And I walked this church, and I prayed because I was tempted to leave because I couldn't put things together and things weren't right. And I once again heard the voice of God as I walked... Up and down and I prayed and I thought about people groups and fragmented people groups and especially some that, that, that had a little different mindset than mine. I heard God speak to me these words. He said, Lee, he said, don't go back to them. He said, go back and get them. And I tell you, I've made a change in my pastoral change of leadership and style and the pace and I put myself on a pace that everybody could handle. I learned that if you move people that are pregnant with visions and dreams too fast too soon they can get into adversity and they can abort those dreams and those goals and their visions and so I put this church on a pace that they could handle and we walked and we moved slowly and methodically and gracefully but little by little a sedition and a fragmentation began to come and began to separate and all of a sudden we began to come together in one mind and in one heart and one accord into unity and you began to see me differently and I began to see you differently and you began Began to see me as your pastor, not just the pastor, not accidentally call me Jackie Carter, as some of you did when I first became the pastor. You begin to accept who I was, what I am, and what God's called me to do, and you begin to accept the vision, and we began to unify together, and we began to grow and mature, and God began to add his blessing. And did you know this? Listen to this. The second year, as we closed off the month, as we closed off the month of December, our income was $14,000 for that month in December is a very difficult time and we close with just $2,000 in the general fund. Leap it forward 10 years later and in that same month we had $40,000 of income that came off in that month and God had richly blessed our church. Glory to God. Are y'all hearing me today? You say, well, Pastor Brown, why are you sharing all this with me? Because you need to know the journey that God's brought us in together. We've got to learn to do life together, grow together, love together, feel one another, feel one another's faith and our, our sorrows and our struggles and our, our difficulties, but rejoice when one another rejoices. Come together. I believe in my heart of hearts that God has destined this church 
for something great. Come on now, are y'all with me? New people come in. Brother Billy and Kathy have come in recently, and Billy, he says, Pastor Brown, he said, I've been around church a long time, and he said, you, you guys are sitting on a volcano. Something's going to erupt. Come on, there's going to come a day. If we believe and we trust God, that it won't just be little, little glimpses of his glory like we had in worship a while ago. But it will be God's going to just pour his presence out. I still believe that God wants apostolic ministries and callings to be in the church. I still want to be a part of divine miracles and healings. Come on, somebody. I still believe in the word of God, not returning to God void, but accomplishing what he sent it forth into the earth to do. It is my great pleasure to see God raise you up and you begin to learn and mature and grow and break off those heavy chains. Change your order of life and lifestyle. Begin to live life different and no longer live like godless, stupid people, but begin to live life with your shoulders squared back, saying, I am the Israel of God. I was afar off, but now I've been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been grafted into the olive tree. I am a son and a daughter of Abraham. I am a child of God by faith. Royal blood flows through my veins. I've got an anointing upon my life. I get up in the morning blessed. I go to bed blessed. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the storm house, the field, and the basket. The enemy may come in one way, but he's going to flee before me seven ways. God is going to lift me up and allow me to see my children's children and a blessing upon new generations. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And this can't just be something that I possess. you got to possess it. And I love seeing as each one of you, the gleam that happens in your eye when you begin to see the change. Is it Daryl? or does uh, Daryl with me today. Thank you so much. We're going to close today. At two, at 12, I'm gonna, you're going to play. I want to pray. I've got to just cut it off today. Challenges to us. I want you to pray. I'm so blessed to work with Brent and Shane and JoJo. And I'll tell you one thing I love so much, and I've got these two in here today. I see the growth in their lives. I'm a daddy at heart. And I, when, I see, when I see anointings come on them that didn't used to be there, when I see them quote scriptures they used to not know, come on, somebody. I'll tell you why that just... And when I see that in your life as well, if you've never seen the, what's the challenges of today's culture for pastoring, please pray for the pastors of our fellowship. Listen, if you've never planned a worship service, then don't judge those who do. If you've never planned ministries, or if you've never led a staff, if you've never led a board, if you've never tried to handle being professional and yet spiritual, if you've never uh, had to deal with business, the business of the church, or been administrative, if you never had to prepare a sermon or to teach and all the while encourage others by staying spiritually fresh yourself. Are y'all hearing me? Paul said, I discipline my own self lest I preach to others and then I become a castaway. So it's a difficult, it's a balance. You invest your time in others, but you got to still have time for yourself. You want to walk in the anointing. You got to have ample prayer time where we pray for one another and I pray for myself and I build my own faith through prayer. I've got to have ample study time because you need a fresh word. 
I say that so you don't need a carbon copy, posted and copied sermon, got off of sermon.com. You need something that's birthed of the Holy Spirit. Come on, the Israel of God series. That thing cooked for a long time, and it just got better and better. And it will get better and better if you'll think on it, meditate on it in your heart. If you never had the difficulty of trying to connect different generations all into a unified people group, are y'all hearing me? It's difficult to do. Listen, don't sit there and look so pious. Some of you can't leave here with your children and all agree what restaurants you're going to go to. So you must try to, try to multiply that about 300 times and try to make it come out. It takes the blessing of God. I have to learn to take care. I can't, I can't take care of your family and neglect mine. I set that goal long ago, and I have not done so, and I'm so thankful. And now we've got these red-headed grandchildren that are coming along the way. Goodness gracious. And then you throw into this. This is why I, it's crazy that I even have this statement. And now Pastor Brown is Farmer Brown throwing all the way in there too like I needed something else to do. Here's my desire for you. My desire for you today as your pastor is your spiritual growth and development. That's what makes me the happiest. When I see you mature in faith, when, when you, the old man in your life gets put off, that old garment, that old you, and you put on the new, I'll tell you, that's when I'm so, uh, so, so I feel so fulfilled as a pastor. It's for your spiritual growth and development. Here's what I want to say to you as we're going to pray. I cannot take each of you out of your personal hardships. And I realize there every week people come in, life has just been, the rug has been pulled out from under. Sometimes you, it, you're, you're at fault and sometimes you weren't, right? And it just, it just smacks you in the mouth. But I want you to know that as a pastor that I pray for you, not just here on Sundays. That would be hypocrisy, right? If, if that's all we did and we just, if that's all we were, then, then you would easily know it. But I want to pray for you and I encourage, here's what I encourage you today. I want to encourage you to endure. You can make it through it if you don't give up. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but out of them all, the Lord will deliver him. Come on, do you believe that? In this world, you will have tribulation. I'm not saying you're not going to have tough days. Sometimes life is tough, right? But Jesus said, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. When I think about you, I think about good thoughts. I think good thoughts. I personally try to see the good and the grace of God in each of you. I value our times together. These are special to me. I sat there last night and I watched the, the, the ball game with Sherry. And I was just honest with her. And I said, I said, I miss having the boys here. Now we're texting. Anthony's an antagonist slash smart aleck at times. And I, text, I, I texted him, go hogs. He texted me back, go tigers. But I, I miss that, uh, that moment together. I want you to I understand you can't always be here. But I tell you, we miss you when you're not. My greatest days of ministry is when I get to personally at least touch, greet, or handshake or hug each of you. It's not when I hit a home run in a sermon. Because that happens pretty regular around here. You know? <laughs> but you'll ask Sherry. 
No matter how the sermon goes, this is when I feel the most grieved and I say, I didn't get to touch many people today, physically. I didn't get to hug or greet. That, when I get a moment to just hug, I know we don't have time to discourse and go through a lot of things, but if I just get to greet and handshake, that means the world to me personally. I just want you to know. So search me out on a Sunday morning and give me the opportunity. That's a pastoral appreciation gift to me. I believe that God's desire is for me to be an example to you as a pastor, to treat the older men like fathers, the older women like moms, the younger men like brothers, and the younger women like sisters, to encourage you, to instruct you, and to pray for you, to trust that if you will trust in Jesus with all your heart, he'll bring you through it. He will, right? He will. He is faithful. He is faithful. I believe God wants you and I to be faithful to him, faithful to each other, conformable to his will, that we should die to ourselves and desire his word, that we should develop a lifestyle of prayer and long for his presence, and we should allow God to change us, to shape us, and to use us for his glory. Today I want to pray for you right where you're at today. Time is not going to afford us. We had a tremendous prayer moment a while ago, but this is my pastoral prayer over you, and then I think Randy's going to come up in just a moment. It's always very awkward for me. I'm going to be honest. When, you, when many of you, uh, uh, there have been times and days gone by when I've turned away the pastoral uh, offering that y'all have chosen to do annually because it's awkward. I'm just being honest. It is. I receive a salary that I'm very, very thankful for. But at the same time, I don't want to be unwise. You know, everybody likes a little gift, of course. But also, Paul said this in Philippians, and I understand the mysterious link right here. Paul said this. He said, I don't desire a gift. He said, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So I see a principle. And so as you make a moment, whenever that is, at any moment, if you ever sow into to me or Jojo or Shane or any of us, you're sowing into a divine principle that God in heaven watches over and he'll bless you in this endeavor. Let me say a prayer with you and then I'm going to turn this to Brother Randy. Now, what I'm going to ask today we get dismissed here after prayer, after they receive the offering and everything, some of you got to help back in the back. It's going to take a few minutes to get things. Everything is ready back there, but they may have to set it out. Some of you just going to have to grab an apron. Oh, it's really, y'all shout me down. I felt it. Oh, Pastor, I feel your sermon here today. It's just going to have to happen. <clears throat> Always before they try to rush me and set me down, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hug and greet everybody that I can here today because that's more <coughs> important than the meal. I'll get back there to that meal soon. But if you haven't, make sure you come by me and give me a hug on Pastor Appreciation Day. That means the world to me. I want to pray. Let me have a drink of water. And I want to pray with you and let's join our faith together. I believe in the pastoral prayer, not just the role of an apostle or an evangelist, the pastor. Jesus had a conversation with Peter. <clears throat> he said, Peter, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. He's going to just try to rock your life and shake you. He said, but here's what Jesus said to him. And I believe this is that pastoral prayer that all of us pastors feel. I know it's a long time. It's about eight minutes past, ten minutes past twelve. But he, listen, listen. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I believe God anoints pastors to pray for their church family. And that's what I want to do with you right now today. 
in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today I'm so honored. I don't know why you would choose an uneducated, as I say so often, Wilburnite to be the pastor of this great fellowship, but you did. And Sherry and I want to thank you so much for placing us in the midst of this people. God, to walk with them through the ups and the downs of life, the challenges. God, to, to see their growth and their maturation. And also to hopefully say or do something along the way that encourages them in their faith. Before I pray for them, Father, I want to just thank you. God, as I've said so many times with the words of our song that we sing so often here, no place I'd rather be. God, that has a deeper meaning for me today than what many understand. No place I'd rather be than right here, right now, at this moment, to be with this fellowship. God, today as the pastor of this assembly, I want to pray over each one. I want to pray over every man and woman, boy and girl. I want to pray, God, that you're going to work in them to will and to do of your good pleasure. I want to pray, Father, that in the midst of adversity and hardship that they're going to endure as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to pray that if many of them among us, if we still have habitual uh, issues that are, Father, if I can borrow from last week, if we're still living like godless, stupid people, I pray that a change is coming, God, to those under the sound of my voice, that they're going to walk and live a life and a lifestyle that's pleasing to you. God, I want to pray that you will keep each one in the full assurance of faith, that in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, they won't turn from you, but they'll turn to you. They'll draw near to you, and you'll draw near to them, God. I pray, Father, that they will go to the Word for answers. That, God, that they will search your word as a treasure house, God, and they will bring out of it some things new and some things old, God, in the name of Jesus. I pray that they're going to grow and mature into who you have called them to be. You're going to give them revelation in the Spirit. You're going to open the word of God to them, Father. And as they do so, and as you do so, Father, it's going to change. It's going to change their perception about who you are and who they are in Christ and what you can do in their life. You're going to give them a divine destiny and a divine purpose, God. I want to pray for the widows among us, God, who live life at times isolated, still living, Father, in the absence of that spouse, or those that have gone through divorce and that trauma, that, that they're still trying to be find that moment of recovery today. God, I just want to pray for them. Father, let them find fellowship in this family that will encourage them in the name of Jesus. I want to pray for the dads and the moms, the husbands and the wives here today that you would bless and prosper their family. May each one of them learn to pass blessing upon their children, that they will learn to audibly speak it, pray it, and lay hands on their kids. Father, even if they're adults, they'll lay hands over on them and pray blessings upon them and pass spiritual blessings into them. God, I want to pray today, Father, for your divine grace and your divine favor and your divine goodness today in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to read this here in closing today. 
It's my day, so don't be shaking your fist at me. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may they put my name upon the children of Israel. For God says this to you, and I will bless you. Be blessed today. Thank you so much for being a part of First Assembly of God. Randy, I'm going to let you come and remind you again, we're going to have a dinner fellowship in the back that we're very, very excited.